0: So if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 33 in the Old Testament, Exodus 33. If you don't have a Bible with you or on a mobile device, hopefully there's one. In a pew rack close by Exodus, the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Thank you very much. As you're turning there, um, I don't know if you've had family vacation experiences like this. When When our family lived in Fargo, North Dakota on... Over several different summers, we would take our summer vacation. We would drive to visit family in Texas. So that meant two days of travel, 1,100 miles, three children. Three very small children. For some of you, I do not have to explain what that experience would be like. In the course of those experiences, I came to appreciate a question more deeply. Are we there yet? Right? You know, that. You know, you've been on those trips. Are we there? When are we going to get there? Some of you, you've had the experience of asking that. Some of you, if you're parents, you know that experience of traveling with small kids. I still remember one of these trips. I didn't plan it very well. We didn't get far enough on the first day, which meant the second day was going to be a really grueling and long day. That's just one of those days i never want to remember or relive again you know that day where the journey is long but the tempers are short all i will tell you is there were words said throughout the day there was yelling in the minivan not my finest day as a father not my finest day as a husband we pulled into dallas into my parents driveway it was right about midnight and yet yeah, i still rebe- Oh. We're finally there, right? Are we there? Yeah, yes, we are. we are finally there. Do you know those experiences? Maybe you've had trips like that. Uh, maybe you have had the experience of traveling with small kids. My dad used to say there are two kinds of travel, first class and with children. And, uh, <laughs> maybe you've had a trip like that. Maybe you've gotten stuck on a bus. Maybe you've had a delay in an airport you know that experience where all you care about is getting to the destination if you know when will we get there are we there yet of course this attitude and and this kind of mindset isn't restricted to travel because I think so so often you know it's just part of life that as we live life we I think many of us we're thinking about that next destination whatever that destination may be for some of you it may be you know I'm I can't wait to get out of high school and enter the next chapter of my life. I'm, I'm ready for moving past residency and what that will entail. I'm ready for taking the next step in my career. I'm ready for retirement. I'm ready for a new season in this relationship. I'm ready to see my kids take a next step. I mean, all of us, I think at different times, different seasons of life, we're living for that next mile marker. We're leaning into that next mile marker. We're leaning into that next destination. So just take a moment. I mean, if you can, if you can identify what that is right now, just take a moment in your mind and declare what that destination, that next thing might look like in your life. And if you're able to do that, let me just first of all congratulate you. I think there's so much wisdom in thinking about what's next in our life and kind of moving toward goals and moving toward objectives. There's a lot of wisdom there. But as you think about that next mile marker, as you think about that next destination, let me just ask you a couple of questions. As you are moving toward that goal, have you thought much about who you are becoming in the process? Likewise, as you are moving towards that goal, have you thought about the truth that the nature of the journey may actually be as important or more important than the destination? So I, w- I want to encourage you just to, to kind of reflect for your own life, as you think about what that next thing in your life might be, what that next mile marker might be, as you think about that, I want us to reflect on the journey of, of someone that's very significant in the pages of Scripture. His name is Moses. So now we're going to come to Exodus. We're going to look at just a scene from, that really moves from Exodus chapter 32 until Exodus 34. If you're new this morning, we're in this series called Love This Book. Over the first half of this year, as a church, in our kids' ministry, in our student ministry, in our main services, we're going through the first half of the Old Testament together. And up to this point, we've seen this amazing storyline. We started with creation, the goodness of God's creation. Then their sin, then God starts this rescue plan. He calls this guy Abram, and we know him as Abraham. I'm going to be a blessing through you. I'm going to bless the world through you. You're going to become a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. And we begin to see those promises unfold. And ultimately, his family gets bigger and bigger, but they're stuck in Egypt. And there's complications there, but God delivers them. And now... Through this leadership of Moses, this nation of people is on the move. And after they're delivered, we see that God is now giving him his his law. This is what it's going to look like for them to be in relationship with God. And and we're told specifically, I'm giving you this law so that that you can reflect my character to the nations around you as you go into this new land. But now as, as God is giving them this law, we hit a complication. Interestingly, starting in chapter 25, you you begin seeing specific guidelines in Exodus, specific guidelines, instructions about building the tabernacle and the priesthood that would go with that. The tabernacle was going to be this right mobile location that that represented God's presence, and it was going to be right in the middle of the camp because all along the way in this biblical storyline, we're seeing God's desire to be with us. That's at the heart of Scripture. But interestingly, even, even in the season where Moses is now having time with God to receive this instruction about the tabernacle, things get complicated in the camp below. Because in Exodus chapter 33, or excuse me, Exodus 32, the people are starting to grow restless, right? Moses is taking too long with God. And they come to Aaron, right? Moses' his brother, kind of the second in command. And Aaron, you've got to do something. And interestingly, the the underlying Hebrew in part of, of this chapter almost implies that they've ganged up on Aaron. It's a, it's a bit of a rebellion. We've got to do something. Moses is taking too long. We've got to take matters into our own hands. So they build an idol. They build a golden calf. And once this is done, Aaron, now he's kind of been roped into this rebellion, says, Well, look, here's, here's the God who brought us out of Egypt. Now, as you as you see this going on, understand what has happened. Remember, all these people that are part of this nation, they've all grown up in Egypt. I mean, that's in so many ways, that's where they've been shaped and influenced. They've grown up in this culture that worships pagan idols. They've grown up with the practice all around them that what you do is this. You would build an idol. The idol represented your God, and you do certain things for the idol, and the idol will do certain things for you. That's how you control nature. That's how you get good crops. That's how you make things go well with your life. That's just the way life works. So even though they've been Jews, they've been surrounded by this culture that said, no, this is really the way life works. This is how worship works. You create an idol, and here's how you control it. Here's how you make things work for you. And now under pressure, now In this moment where it feels like things are taking too long, they revert to that which is most comfortable. So they build this idol. And now they're operating from this false presumption or presumption about how God works and how he is to be worshiped. In essence, they've remade God in an image that they can control. And, of course, as we read further, it leads to disaster. I mean, as you read this section, there's some fascinating interactions between God and Moses. It's, it, kind of, it can even be confusing. Is this really how the conversation sounded? I mean, God engages Moses in a way that says, I'm ready to wipe these people out and start over. Moses, I'm ready to restart with you. Moses, you can be Abraham 2.0. But as you read these conversations, understand this. I think part of what God is doing, part is God is is forcing Moses to deal with his holiness and the reality of his justice and his judgment. Moses, these things have consequences. But I think also God is engaging Moses in such a way that is prompting him to act, prompting him to continue to step into his role as a leader of his people. So Moses pleads with God on behalf of the nation. Then he comes down from the mountain and sees the chaos of what's going on. Once again, this this is stuff that's hard to read. It's violent. There's bloodshed. We don't know all the details, but apparently judgment is brought on those who were the leaders of this rebellion and 3,000 people are killed. As I said, it's not an easy section to read. And then we see kind of the interaction between God and Moses continues at the beginning of chapter 33. And here's what God is starting to say to Moses. Moses, I'm going to drive out your enemies. I'm going to ensure that you get to the land I have promised, right? I'm going to keep that promise that I made to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will ensure that you are successful, but my presence will not go with you as a people. Something's got to change. Otherwise, I might destroy this people in my holiness. If you've got a Bible open, look at chapter 33, verse 3. God says to Moses, go to the land flowing with milk and honey, right? This is the land I promised. This is that ongoing promise that we've already read throughout the pages of Scripture go to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Once again, I think God is challenging Moses to understand his holiness. Moses, you've got to understand something has got to give here. Something has got to change. Moses, your people can't simply keep trampling on our relationship. That's not going to work. But before, this is a fascinating section, but before we kind of just kind of read through it, because that's easy to do, I I just want us to stop here for a moment and think about, in essence, the offer that God is making to Moses. Understand what God is saying. God is saying this Moses, I'm going to give you the destination. I'm going to give you what i promised i'm going to go before you your enemies will be defeated you're going to end up in this land you'll be successful it's got great you know it's land flowing with milk and honey that is it's got great potential for you to develop all of that The, the thing we've been talking about the thing you've been looking forward to that i'm going to give you but as for the journey that's going to be different because of what your people have done my presence that you have experienced up to my presence, well, I'm not going with you in the same way. I'm going to give you the goal, but the journey's going to be different. I'm going to give you the destination, but I'm not going with you like you thought. Now, let that sink in for a moment, because that's what's going on in this passage. And as you let it sink in, let me just acknowledge personally, there's part of this passage I find really troubling. And there's part of this passage that I find really personally challenging and convicting. And I say that for this reason. Sometimes if I'm honest, I, in essence, find myself saying to God, okay, I'll take that offer. Sometimes I find myself so consumed by this destination, whatever the next thing is, whatever the next thing is in my life, in the life of our church, in my family, health-wise, you know, whatever that next mile marker is, that next milestone. Sometimes I find myself just at that point of, okay, God, just make this happen right? Are we there yet? Just get us there. Just get us to the destination. I'm not really concerned about the journey. I'm not really, I don't say this, but it's almost like I'm saying, I'm not really sure if you go with me or not. Just get me to this point, right? It's like you can become so consumed about what that next thing is, and even how you pray, just make this happen. Somehow the whole Journey and what God could be doing in this journey and and the the reality of God going, well, that's just not important. I just want to get here. You ever find yourself doing that? Ever find yourself praying that way? All I see is the destination. I I just want to get to that point, whatever that point may be. By the way, and this is almost a sidebar, but if you find yourself sometimes doing that, just, you know, it's like my prayers are just so focused on this issue that I lose sight of, of, of how God can be at work more generally. If you find yourself doing that, something I've found helpful is just to, at times, go back to the prayers of Paul and pay attention to how he prays and kind of what he's wanting to see take place in the lives of people. For instance, there's this amazing prayer that Paul prays in colossians chapter one right he's writing this letter to these early followers of christ and he says i'm praying for you and here's how he's he's praying he says i'm praying that you may live a life worthy of the lord and interestingly the idea of living a life worthy of the lord is really all about the journey it's that you may walk in a particular way it's not it's not a prayer just kind of focused on a destination to get to the next point or make the problem go away or next season of your career it's it's a journey prayer and as he's praying for these people that they would walk in a certain way, that they would live life as a journey in a certain way, he prays for four things. First of all, he says, I pray, I pray that this journey is going to be a journey of fruit bearing. Right? And I pray that the journey itself can be a season of growth. And I think in that it's, it's a season of growth not only for you but also for the people around you because if you're growing, that, that kind of filters into the people around you. So he prays, first of all, for fruit. Secondly, he prays that they would grow in their knowledge of God. I mean, if you're going to bear fruit, it's, it's going to be because you're growing in your relationship with God. So he's, it's like I'm praying that you're going to grow in your knowledge of God. I'm praying that, that, that this journey is going to be a journey of a growing relationship. And then out of that, thirdly, he prays that they're going to grow in their endurance and strengthening because the reality is in any season of life there're bumps there're challenges at times there's opposition along the way so as, you know as you grow in your knowledge of God I'm praying that you're going to you're going to grow and in your endurance you're going to be strengthened along the way and then finally if all if this is happening it's like I'm I'm praying you're going to grow in gratitude I'm praying you're going to grow in thankfulness because it's as, as as you're growing in this knowledge of God and that's leading to fruit and as you're being strengthened, you're going to discover that all along the way there's reason to give thanks. But see, that this is a prayer. It's not, it's not just get me to this destination. Are we there yet? This is, a, this is a prayer for God to be at work all along the way because that's what he's doing. It's not just about the destination. It's about the journey. Okay, so back to Moses, right? So, notice how this experience continues to unfold, right? Here's the deal. God has basically said, okay, Moses, I will give you the destination. I'm just not going to go with you on the journey. So we pick it up in chapter 33 and verse 14, and here's what we read. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. Now understand, this is singular. That is, my presence will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest things are going to be different with the people. And so Moses says to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. And then Moses says, now show me your glory. It's a fascinating conversation. So look at, look at what's going on. God said, okay, Moses, here's the deal. I'll give you the destination. The journey's going to be different. I'm not going with you as a people. And Moses says, <laughs> God, if if you don't go with us, we don't want to leave. The, The destination is not worth it if you don't go with us. I mean, that's what he's saying. The success, the new land, all the things that we could do there, that is not worth it if you don't go with us. Notice, notice what's going on. Notice, I mean, notice what's going on in Moses' life. Even in Moses' heart, his spirit right now. Moses is really coming to understand, I think, that, you know, as a people, we're intended, right, to be part of this bigger story of what God is doing. So he says, Look, if God, if you don't go with us, how are we going to live out your character to the nations around us? If you don't go with us, how are we going to be part of this bigger story and this bigger mission? This one destination point, this one season of success, it doesn't matter if it's not part of this bigger storyline of what you're doing. If we get all we want, but it's not part of this bigger story, it just isn't worth it. It's an amazing realization on Moses' part. This doesn't matter if it's not part of this bigger storyline. That's what Moses is saying. And so God says, okay, I will go with you. Not just with you, Moses, but I, I will go with you as a people. then moses makes this notice this interesting request and at first it may not seem like it's part of the conversation right god you know we've gone back and forth about the journey the destination finally god says okay it's not just that we're going to get there it's i'm going to go with you all along the way yes moses this can continue to be part of this bigger story moses says great now show me your glory So what's he getting at? Well, I think what what Moses is doing is, in essence, he's saying, okay, God, demonstrate that you're going to keep your promise. Demonstrate that this is true. Show me your glory. Show me that it's not just about where you're taking us and giving us the success and the goal. Show us you. I want to see you because you're going to be part of this journey with me. That's what Moses is asking for. And then God says, no, Moses, you don't get it, right? You can't, you can't fully see my glory. But I, I will show you my goodness, right? You can't fully comprehend who I am. That would destroy you, Moses. But I will give you a glimpse. And once again, it's an, you know this is an interesting passage. It's kind of I think still hard to understand all that's going on here. But we see this unfold in chapter thirty-four. Right, the Lord comes down in His cloud and He stands with Moses and He proclaims His name, the Lord. And He passes in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So Moses has this incredible experience, right, with God. And among other things, God reveals his name and his character. It's a deepening understanding of who uh, God is for Moses. And as, as we watch this Unfold. Think again about what Moses is asking for. Show me your glory. The Hebrew term here is kavod. It's a fascinating word in the Hebrew Bible. In, uh, in, in some instances, the, the word kavod that we translate glory simply means heavy or weighty. That is, it's a term you can use in describing the characteristics of a physical object. A stone is heavy, it is weighty, it has kavod, it has glory. Likewise, then, the the term kind of with that in mind could be used in other situations in a way that that describes the the weightiness, the seriousness, the heaviness of, of topics or people. We do this in English, Right? At some point, maybe you've had a conversation with a friend who's going through either some challenging life circumstances or maybe he or she's at a crossroads. It's a big decision. And maybe you say something like, wow, this, this is just weighty. This is, a heavy, this is a heavy time in your life. It's a heavy thing you're dealing with. It's heavy. It has glory. It has kvote. But then the term could also be used of people in terms of their, their reputation, their influence, their impact. They have weightiness, significance. In English, sometimes, you know, we would sometimes talk about someone's gravitas, right? There's a weightiness there, there's influence there, there's a seriousness there. It's kavod, it's glory. I think about this, Actually, my mind goes back 25 years. I mean, it's a long time, old story, but it's, it's, it's one of the most unusual customer service experiences that I've ever had. Walk into an ice cream shop, I think it was early summer, uh, a nice mall in Dallas. As I'm walking in, there are two guys behind the counter serving. There's one customer in front of me. He's got his back to me. He's, he's getting his ice cream, and they're about to check him out. And as I walk up to the counter, these two guys behind the counter are absolutely fixed. On the guy in front of me. I mean, they're talking, but it's like neither of them see me. And of course, I, you know, sometimes we've had odd customer service experiences, but this was really weird. It's like I was the, I mean, for over a minute I'm standing there and nothing. The guy, you know, the guy gets his change, he's got his ice cream, they're lingering for a moment, they're still talking, it's like he's got this barrier around him that is sucking in all the attention and and i am i am just standing there hello you know i mean it was just a really weird experience finally the conversation ends the guy walks toward the door i mean these guys their eyes are fixed on him he's walking back into the mall and as he turns slightly coming out into the mall i'm able to see who he is and that's when it all makes sense it was Randall Cunningham, former starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. And obviously, the two guys behind the counter were big football fans because they had, they had locked into him. And, and so for that minute and a half that I'm the invisible man in front of the counter, I am confronting the reality of his kavod, his weightiness. His significance, his glory. And if this is true in human experience, how much more true is it when we talk about God? And so here's Moses I want to experience, I want to experience your glory. Your weightiness, your significance, the depth of who you are. And of course, as I've already said, he can't fully experience that. That would be too much. But he can't experience it in a limited way, and that's what happens. Right? He has this deepening sense of the character, the wonder, the holiness, the justice, the compassion of God. And as we look at this experience in chapter 34, I can't help but check uh, uh, to con- but contrast it with chapter 32. Because remember, in 32, the people want to worship God, but we're going to do this in our own way. In 32, we're going to build an idol that we can control that's according to our pre- preconceived ideas. We're going to define what God is like. In chapter 34, Moses says, no, I want to see, see you for who you really are. Chapter 32, we, we want to engage God, but on our own terms. We'll define what it looks like because we want to control it. Chapter 34, Moses says, no, I want to experience you for who you really are. One chapter, we don't worship you, God, but we're going to fit you into our dreams and our agenda. Chapter 34, no, God, I want to see you for who you really are. I want to be a part of what you are doing. So that my thoughts, my attitudes are being shaped by who you are. So Moses says, show me your glory. And I think this passage shows us something about God. It confronts us with the majesty, the transcendence, the wonder of God. And if we slow down and really engage it, it, it should create within us a sense of awe. Maybe a sense of fear about the true holiness and transcendence of who God is. As the Apostle Paul would write, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So this passage, it confronts, as Moses is asking to see God's glory, it confronts us with the reality of who he is, but... But on the other hand, I think it also says something about us. Because in some sense, it reminds us that we are designed for relationship with him. Look at this passage in Psalm 8. Well, the author is talking about us as humans. You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. That's you and me. This is how we've been created. We've been intended for glory, for kavod. That's the word used here. You made them rulers over the work of your hands. You put everything under their feet. This is a meditation on Genesis 1, which we've already seen in this storyline, that you and I have been created in the image of God, right? This is where the storyline begins in Genesis. We've been created to reflect his image into the creation, the relationships around us. You and I, we have been created to reflect his kavod, glory. Centuries later, the Apostle Paul would build on this story from Exodus chapters 32 and following, and as he's explaining how the new covenant under Christ is superior to the old covenant that Moses is receiving, he uses imagery from this passage, and here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 3, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing Glory—it's that same theme again. Going back to the Hebrew concept of "kavod," which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul is saying, "Look, as you, as you enter into relationship with Christ, this journey of now following Jesus is to be a journey where, as you." you engage him, where you pursue that relationship, where you learn about him, where you experience him. Just like Moses experienced God, it is to be transformative. So that more and more you reflect his image, more and more you reflect his kavod. So as we look at Moses, I think we're reminded of this. Don't just focus on the destination. Focus on the journey. Right? It's it's a journey where God intends to go with us, to be with us. And it's a journey where we're intended to reflect his glory. Because we've been designed for it. We've been designed for Kavod. On a practical level, I'll just highlight two things very briefly. Let me just bullet them for you. I think they're, for me, two takeaways from Moses' life. And one is I need to build rhythms into my life that remind me of God's goodness. I mean, that's part of what I think is instrumental in this this, this section of the Bible. Moses has this experience where in pursuing God, he he is reminded of the goodness of God. So, what does that look like for you? How can we build rhythms into our lives that remind us of God's goodness? How how do we engage scripture? How do we participate in community? How do we have conversations? How do we have time for reflection? Anything that is helpful for you that reminds you of God's goodness, that was important in Moses's life. But secondly, not only do we need to to build these kinds of rhythms that remind us of God's goodness into our lives, I think we've got to be willing to take next steps and learn as you go. One of the incredible things to me in reading the book of Exodus is to see how much things have changed since God's first conversation right with Moses earlier in the book. Do you remember that conversation? Moses, I'm calling you, and Moses makes all kinds of excuses. I can't do it. I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. Now we get to this season in Moses's life, and and now he's actually, he's intervening on behalf of the nation. I mean, there's just, it just feels like he's a different guy. And there, there was no one aha moment. I think it's just been a journey of Moses taking next steps and learning along the way. We need to do that as well. We need to be willing to do that as well. Taking, we take steps of obedience, not always knowing what they're going to look like, where they'll take us. But we're going to take steps and learn as we go. That was Moses' experience. A few moments ago, I I just asked you to take time and think about what this destination may look like in your life, right? What's the next thing you're working toward? What's the next thing you're leaning into? What does that look like? But now that we've spent some time with Moses over the last few minutes, I hope you'll be encouraged and challenged to see. Don't just pay attention to the destination. Attention to the journey. Because God desires for this to be a journey where he is with you, where he's walking with you, and where more and more you are reflecting his glory. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we think about this just incredible scene in the life of Moses... so challenging, encouraging to see Moses, think carefully about what's in front of him. Father, I pray we'd be challenged to kind of walk with Moses in the scene and be willing to say, look, I don't it's not just about the destination it's about the journey. And God, if you aren't if you're not with me then the destination just isn't worth it. A powerful insight for Moses to glean from this experience. So, Father, I I pray in our lives as well that now as people of the new covenant, people who are in relationship with you through the work of Jesus Christ, we would understand that you desire to be at work in this new journey. You desire to be at work in a way that more and more we reflect the character of Christ all along the way. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.